will have to excuse my voice this morning. The allergy season has arrived. So you may be getting a little berry white this morning. Have you ever been in a situation where someone said something you just wish they would not have said? I was a freshman football player playing my very first game. We were all in our uniforms. I was guaranteed to play because there was only 14 of us. The joy of playing in a small school. And my buddy Scott and I were both on defense. Scott made a spectacular tackle. And so, of course, the announcer, Raul, on the tackle. And as soon as the announcer was done, you could hear his mom say, That's my baby! <laughs> of course, all of us trying to look like football players, you know, we get in the huddle and... About three plays later, I broke through the line and made a wonderful tackle, put the people back a few yards, and they said, Brawley on the tackle. And then Shirley, Scott's mom, who is like my second mom, yells out, That's my other baby! <laughs> it's kind of hard to inspire fear into the other team. So moms, if you have children ready to play sports, please refrain from yelling, that's my baby. It would just, I think they would appreciate it. Now, did you know Jesus said some things that deep down I get very uncomfortable with? There are times I wish he would not have said those things. And sometimes it's because of the ouch factor because it, it brings to mind all the areas that I'm not living up to what I need to live up to. Other times it's because I see people misapply it. Today's one of those passages. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 21. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. That's one of my favorite translations. I love a lot of translations, but this is the one I tend to study for messages out of. So if yours is slightly different, it's just probably a different translation. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now here's the setting. Earlier that day, Jesus had talked with Peter and he said, hey Peter, hey guys, come here, come here. Now if your brother sins against you, here's what you got to do. And he talks about the process and he walks through things with him. And so they've been having this conversation. So Peter comes up and says, okay, I got it. I, I'm supposed to follow this process. But, but how many times? And it may be odd here that you see the word seven. You see, Peter was being a very generous, good-hearted man. Because the Talmud, the book that they would follow on how to apply Scripture to their lives, said this. It said, forgive a man three times, and the fourth, you don't forgive anymore because they are serial offenders. So what you got to do is, you can bring down the hammer at that time, but you forgive three times. So here's Peter. He's walking up. He goes, Lord, Lord, should we forgive? You know, I know the Talmud 
Should we forgive seven times? That's pretty generous. That's twice the requirement. Peter's going the extra mile. He's heard what Jesus has taught. But notice what Jesus says here. And this is the part that gets very uncomfortable. No. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or your Bible may say seven times 70. There's a couple textual differences here, but the point of the matter is you just keep going over and over and over and over, and that's what drives me crazy. Because I've seen this misapplied. And then, you know, you might be sitting there, come on, Jesus, did you really have... What? Come on, Jesus. Did you apply it, Jesus? Well, if we look at the chronological order, if you take the four Gospels, because each Gospel is a snapshot of Jesus' life, and you can put them together, we call that harmonizing the Bible. We put them all together. If you go and put them all together, guess what the next chapter is? It's chapter 7 of the book of John. If you have your Bibles, turn with me very quickly to John chapter 7. We'll see if Jesus has to apply what he just said. John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea. Now, remember, we had our kind of our Bible map, and we had this was the north part and that part, and we had over here, you know, uh, the Mount Carm, and then, you know, down the Sea of Galilee. Well, Jesus is up here by the Sea of Galilee. And down there is Judea. Judea is where Jerusalem's at. So keep that in mind. He would not go in about in Judea because the Jews, and what this meant is Jewish leaders, all the people who were in charge, his fellow rabbis, the high priest, all the people of the temple, they were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booths, this is one of the required feasts that if you can, you make a, a trip down to Jerusalem for, uh, was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. Now, if it stopped there, it would sound like his brothers believe in him. It would sound like they're on his side. But notice what else it says. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed him what his brothers were saying is jesus you got a big ego you got a few tricks up your sleeve obviously you want to be famous and maybe they were bitter because their brothers he was the oldest brother and it sounds like joseph is gone at this time so as the older brother he would have taken on the role of running the household and he's probably given that to one of the other brothers and so they're kind of like what is going on we know back in mark chapter 3 they try to do an intervention. They try to show up and say, hey, Jesus, you've lost a few. You're a few fries short of a Happy Meal, Jesus. We're going to take you away. They think he's crazy. And now they're saying, hey, let's go down. Why don't you go down? Quit being an embarrassment to us here. 
Why don't you go down? Yeah, they'll probably arrest you. They might even kill you. But at least you won't be our problem anymore because we know that you're a looney tune. So quit embarrassing the family. And since you're obviously about your ego, Jesus, why don't you go get a following? You know, it hurts when strangers attack us. But it really hurts when those who are supposed to be our family, those who are supposed to have our back, and they attack not only what we're doing, but they attack our motives. They attack who we are. And this is what Jesus is going to. Does Jesus have to apply this? Oh, you bet. Oh, you bet. He was not talking in the abstract. Jesus now has to begin forgiving his brothers, forgiving his family. Were there others that Jesus may have had to forgive? Well, we already saw here in the text that the Jewish leadership, those who were supposed to be on his side, those who were supposed to be embracing the scriptures, those who were supposed to be embracing the will of God have rejected him. And now they're trying to kill him. They've tried several times. And he has to hang out in the desert because they're trying to kill him. Does he have someone to forgive there? I think so. What about the crowds? Remember the crowds first show up and they become multitudes upon multitudes. They become huge. And then he starts teaching what he's all about and some of them take off. And now they're coming out to see him, but they're only coming out to see him because they're hoping for a free meal. And they hope he does a trick. Instead of listening to his message, they've made him into simply entertainment. They've mocked him. They come and all they say is, Jesus, what are you going to give me today? And they've rejected his message. Yeah, I think he's got someone there to forgive. What about the political leaders? You see, the reason why he wouldn't go down into that area, and we find elsewhere, there's a guy named Herod Antipas, that old fox. Herod has killed John the Baptist, cut his head off for a girl who danced for him. And old Herod, he wants Jesus. He's scared of Jesus. He thinks Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And he wants wants Jesus right in his court because... It says he hopes he can make him perform a trick for him. Hey, Jesus, I want you to be my trained animal. I'm going to bring you to my court. You can can perform for me. If you don't, I'll kill you. He's got someone to forgive? I think so. I think so. So what does he mean, though? Think about it. Seventy times seven? It seems so unfair. It seems to embrace dysfunction. It seems to embrace that which is destructive. Why would he say that? I mean, think about it. You've you've experienced this as a believer. In fact, if you've been a, a, a... good-hearted follower of Jesus Christ, you've probably experienced this more than once. 
There's someone running amok. There's someone going around and they're hurting people, hurting people, hurting people, hurting people. And you go to your, your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, this person's hurting people. They're hurting me. What do I do? And then they look at you and go, well, you got to forgive them. Okay. And then what? Well, then it's done. You just forgive. But they're hurting others. We just forgive. Is that what this means? We let them off the hook? We let them run around and continue hurting people? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is he saying that we just forgive and walk away? In my office, over the years I've prayed with a number of people. And we would come to the point of wanting to know whether or not they would forgive the person who had hurt them. And I got basically this statement. Pastor, I really want to. But I know the moment I do, I'm letting them off the hook. I know the moment I do, they will never see justice. I know the moment I do, they will not be dealt with and they'll hurt some others on and on. In fact, Pastor, I know when I leave here, even if I forgive them right now, they're going to hurt me tomorrow. And I think one of the things that has happened is we've created this mythology of what forgiveness is. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying that sin has occurred. It is not denying that it's destructive. It's not sweeping it under the rug. It's not what we call today and have misunderstood as forgetting. We don't forgive and forget. When God says he forgets or puts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, what it means is, is that he has chosen not to hold it against us. Not that he doesn't know about it. Our God knows everything. But it means that He's not holding it against that person. It is not, forgiveness is not enabling in further sin. It is not giving people a free pass to cause destruction in our lives. In fact, it, we sometimes have to put boundaries in our lives. We sometimes have to put boundaries in the lives of others because it's the most loving thing we can do. It is not good for me to allow a person to continue to hurt others and hurt themselves. And just saying, oh, well, you're forgiven. Just, just keep doing it. That's not what forgiveness is all about. It is not also... Um, well, let me, let me camp out a moment on that idea about boundaries. Let's say every time I bumped into Tom said, hey, Tom, how are you doing? Tom said, I'm doing great, and slaps me in the face. <laughs> Tom, I, I forgive you for slapping me in the face. Great. Bow! Is it loving for me to allow Tom to continue to do that? Or do I step back and say, hey, Tom, I love you, man, and I forgive you, but you're staying 10 feet away from me. I've got a boundary in place. 
It's not covering up crimes against us. Forgiveness is not covering up a crime. Just because you've forgiven someone does not mean that there are not consequences to sin. I, I, I have met with those that were being abused, and they forgave their abuser, but it didn't mean that their abuser didn't have to face the penalties. There are times that there are consequences that need to take place. It is not immediately trusting. You know, uh, uh, Johnny's sitting over here, and so let's say I, uh, Johnny came to me and said, Greg, you know, my dad's busy, my mom's busy, and I really need to get somewhere. Can I borrow your pickup? And I say, sure, Johnny, you can have my pickup. And I toss him the keys to my 1999 Ford Ranger, and he takes off in it. And while he's spinning donuts in Jerry Howe's fields, he wraps it around the one tree that's in the field. Now, I forgive Johnny. Jerry would probably forgive Johnny a little bit. Oh, yeah, he said, okay. But that doesn't mean the next time Johnny comes back and says, hey, I see you got your truck out of the shop. Can I borrow your keys again? You know, I may be forgiving, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> Think about it. Forgiveness does not mean that I immediately trust. Forgiveness means that I'm maybe as harmless as a dove, but I'm as wise as a serpent. It is not reconciliation. There is a forgiveness that leads to reconciliation, and in two weeks, I'm going to talk about that with you. We're going to have forgiveness part two, and we're going to say, what if I want to restore the relationship? What has to happen? And the Bible has some amazing stuff to share, but it does not automatically, I do not forgive automatically to restore the relationship. There may be relationships I can't restore. They've passed on. There may be relationships that are not safe enough to restore. So I need to be wise. I need to be wise. So what is forgiveness? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Romans is probably the premier book that Paul penned. It's called the Constitution of Our Faith. Romans is the book that lays out so much truth. But one of the things I want you to see is this comes in chapter 12. Do you know what that means? That means there's 11 chapters ahead of it. And that's not by accident. For you see, in chapter 1 through 11, God paints this picture. He so, says, You're sinners. And I forgive your sinners, and I forgive your sinners, and I forgive. And he talks about what it means. And now when we get to chapter 12, he says, now I want to show you the process of forgiving. So look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. You need to camp out on this because we're going to use some words later on that you might go, aren't those bad words? They're not going to be bad words when we understand that it's never based in evil. So you never come to someone who does evil to you and do evil to them. Forgiveness begins with 
a choice. Just as anger begins with a choice, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in a spirit-filled response? And then notice what it says next. But give thought to do what is honorable. There's your choice in the sight of all. Notice verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Two things. We are called to live at peace with people. We are not called to be agitators making people's lives miserable. We are not called to be people who always need other people to come up and say, I forgive you. We are called to be people of peace. But notice it doesn't say you have to be at peace with everyone. Let's be practical. There are people who will not be peaceable to us. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to go towards peace. But there may be people who choose not to be at peace with us. Understand that. i got to be doormat so that everybody is at happy with me. That's not what it says. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Now here's where we get into forgiveness that I want you to see. Beloved, never avenge. Notice that my word is avenge here. It's not revenge. Avenge and revenge are two different things. Avenge means to bring to justice. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to, the NIV puts it, the righteous anger of God. But leave it to the wrath of God. Oh, but Pastor, I don't like that word, wrath. That's a bad word. As a human, it is. But notice what it is with God. Put in the word justice. For God's anger is anger against the destructiveness of sin. God's anger is against the self-destructiveness of of the people he loves. It's against the, how sin has offended the nature of a perfect God. And God, as a perfect being, with all knowledge, who's everywhere, who knows everything, and does everything right and just and perfect, his wrath is a wrath of justice. Not a wrath of uncontrolled anger. But notice what he says. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is the point I want you to see. God has created us to be people who long for justice. But he has not created us to be the judge of justice. That's his job. I will repay. Why? Well, first of all, I could be angry at my friend Brad. But I may be angry for all the wrong reasons. Think about it. I might think an event happened with us, but until I talk to Brad and until I sit down, I may not have all the facts. And so I'm angry about something I really don't have a right to be angry about. 
But if I'm the judge, I'm misjudging him. But when I go to God, he knows all the facts. When I turn it over to God, he knows the whole situation. He knows all the story. So forgiveness, in essence, is this. I release my right, my desires, my call, my need for justice for me to fulfill. And I place it in the hand of the right judge for him to fulfill. Father, this person has hurt me. I place them into your hands and I'll let you judge it. It's not my problem anymore. Now think about that. That's an incredible thing. Because I've turned it over to the right judge. I'm releasing it to him. And guess what? What does he say? I will repay. They're not getting off the hook. Justice will be done. Now, however he chooses is what I'm saying. God, however you choose. If I go to heaven and I want to see how Brad hurt me and I walked in and see what God did, whatever he did, I'm going to say, God, that was the perfect thing. You were right. Because he's the right judge. But how do I do that, Pastor Greg? Well, I've asked a friend to come and share. Paul Miller heads up Timber Bay. Timber Bay is an incredible ministry to teenagers who are hurting. And I would guess from my talks with Paul that this area of how do I forgive is something that he has to deal with on a regular basis. So, Paul, would you walk us through how do we forgive? This is our friend, Paul Miller. I almost forgot I was coming up here. That was just things are this morning. As a very inexperienced uh, youth worker years ago, I took a group of young people, a group of kids, to a church for a conference. And this conference was um, so that we could work through spiritual issues that the kids were, were dealing with. And it was a, uh, a large conference. We're in a church. And we're sitting there. We get to the part of the conference where uh, it's time to work through forgiving people. Um, it was one session that we're dealing with forgiveness. And so uh, we have already got a list, each of us by ourselves, got a, a list of people that we want to forgive. And, um, and at one point, kids and staff all over the, all over the uh, sanctuary were actually working through forgiving people. And, and one of our girls sitting near me right at that point jumped up and uh, climbed and clambered over all the people in her in her row she got out to the aisle and she sprinted up the aisle and out the doors and, and outside she wanted to be as far away from forgiving a person as she could possibly be um, sometimes forgiving people is very painful. She had a lot to forgive, and she had a lot of pain. Um, sometimes forgiving people isn't that difficult. It's part of our healthy relationships. 
We're human and we're going to offend each other. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The idea here is that forgiving is just part of living life with people. And uh, like I said, sometimes it's not that difficult. But what about, what about the times when forgiving someone who hurt you is painful and difficult? And it may even seem impossible. That's what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. Uh, when I caught up to the girl in my story, um, she was outside and crying. And, I, I, and, and she just looked at me and said, how can I possibly forgive? So as we wrestle with forgiveness, the first thing that we need to do is believe that we can forgive every person who has hurt us. Moving toward forgiveness is an act of faith. Don't wait until you feel like it. Jesus commanded it. He gave us the Lord's Prayer, and every time we recite it, we're reminded about the command to forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, when, when my kids were very young, we used to watch a, a video. I used to watch a video with them, and I think it was called um, Singing the NIV or some cheesy title like that. Um, so I, would, I watched it millions and millions of times. I think it may have been Steve Green as the singer, if anybody remembers that name. So anyway, the, sing, the song leader, we got, it was this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, and the leader would go, I can do some things. And all the kids would go, no, all things. I can do most things. And then the, and then the kids would yell, no, all things. And a cheesy little kid video, but... We get stuck on that in our faith, don't we? Um, it's, I've seen that probably the most quoted verse other than John 3.16 is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, including forgiving someone. Um, ask the Lord to walk through this with you. Ask him to lead you, strengthen you, and carry you. Trust him that he'll help you. You don't have to walk through this alone. I would also ask a trusted friend, when you're having trouble forgiving someone or really dealing with um, forgiveness as a difficult thing, I would ask a trusted friend. Make sure that the friend will keep it confidential. Make sure the friend isn't emotionally involved in the offense, that they can remain objective. Share without gossip or slander. And um, try to find somebody that has a lot of wisdom that you know. And uh, don't walk through something like this alone. The next thing I would say, and Pastor spent a lot of time on it, so I'll just mention it briefly, but give up your right for revenge. Um, give up your right to avenge. Let it go and trust that God will deal with the person who has hurt you. Put it in his hands. Finally, in prayer... Forgive the person. It's a simple prayer. I, I had a lot of forgiving to do for, of my dad. And when I um, spent time forgiving him, and this was after he had already passed away, um, things came up in my life. It was My prayer went like this. Lord, I forgive my dad for. And then I just said what it was that 
that I needed to forgive him for. Uh, it's simple, and I prefer to, to pray it out loud so that it's meaningful in my life. Um, when you forgive, don't minimize what happens. When you pray that prayer, don't minimize. What they did is not okay. When you pray that prayer, don't make excuses for the person. And when you pray, Lord, I forgive them, um, pray what you're forgiving them for, even though it's painful and hurtful. Feeling the pain as you forgive is important, and that you're not saying what they did was okay. You're not ex- you are acknowledging that you were hurt. Um, this is something that you can do with a friend. You can do just you and Jesus. Um, but take the time to do it. Years ago, I sat with a young man as he forgave his father. He prayed, Lord, I forgive my father for. And then he just sobbed. And we sat there together. We're just in a room alone. He's praying. He wanted me with him. And he sobbed and cried and tears. And um, eventually, he was able to talk. And he started forgiving his dad for all the things that his dad had done. I witnessed deep pain and sadness while he was struggling to forgive his dad. Uh, When we got done, I witnessed joy and peace in this young man's life. And I could see it in his countenance right after he's done. Uh, Years later, I was at his wedding reception and uh, he addressed his family. He stood up at, at the reception and addressed his family. And he said, Jesus has changed my life. I wish you could know him the way I know Jesus. And, he, and now today he's actually led a few of his family members to Jesus. Uh, there are just two more things I want to leave you with. We may not realize when there is someone we need to forgive. It may be a blind spot for us. We're angry toward them. We're living in bitterness and we don't even know it. Find a time and a place to be alone and ask God to reveal to you anyone you need to forgive. I've done this a few times in my life, and it amazes me when names come up, and I didn't even realize it. Um, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what this is all. This is, this is just simply asking God to search my heart. Let me know if there's something going on that I need to, to deal with, and, and and let me know if there's somebody I need to forgive. The last thing is you may be, um, once you've forgiven someone, the memory may come back, causing you to experience old hurts. You may be mowing the lawn or driving somewhere. Or, you see them, and the memory comes back. And, and uh, we already talked about Matthew 18 and the 70 times 7. Take time and forgive them again and uh, move on with your life. One of the things Paul pointed out was being specific. I have a little phrase I like to use. General prayers generally do nothing. Specific prayers have power. Praying, Father, forgive this person who's hurt me, but not letting the Father 
talking it through how they hurt you may keep you captive. So when you forgive, you place them in your hands. Say, Father, this is yours. You're responsible for this now. And what is the result for me? Well, let's look at, go back to Romans 12. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Some of you are going, yes, that's what I want. I want to pour coals on their head. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. I can see it now. Someone's going, hey, I want to invite you over for a barbecue. (laughs) Here's what it's saying. You're free then to stop and ask your Heavenly Father, how do you want me to handle this? I'm able to do kindness to this person. I'm able to do basic kindness for them. Notice a key word in there. If your enemy. It means the relationship is still not restored. They still don't like you. They still may even want to hurt you. But you have the ability to be God's hands in their life. And what happens is, it may point them, it may nudge them to Christ. You say, how do you get that? Well, that little phrase there, heat burning coals. Here's what it means. When a person was convicted in their heart for something they did wrong... It would burn them to the core. And to demonstrate it, let's say I had offended my wife. I know that never happens, but let's say I had. And I wanted to show her how sorry I was for what I had done. I would get a pot. And I would put it on my head and I'd have someone put burning coals in it. And I would walk around saying, I am burned to the core. I am, I, I am so sorry for what I've done. It won't happen again. And what this passage is teaching is your kindness, your love, the fact that you are free from having to seek revenge, free from having to seek justice, free from all, you might be able to be used to make them understand through the grace of God that they have messed up. That they needed to repent. But notice the second thing. It also means I will have a new power. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I have the freedom to go out and do good. To do what my father wants me to do. Remember Joseph? Joseph, his brothers are jealous. They try to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him. He goes to Egypt. While in Egypt, he's framed for a crime that he didn't commit. He's thrown into jail. The one guy who could help him get out of jail forgets him. And then finally, after 13 years of jail, he's pulled out of jail. He's given the power of being the number two person in all of Egypt. And guess who comes to call him? All his brothers. Now, they haven't seen him for years. 
He looks Egyptian. They don't know who he is. And they come begging for bread. Begging for food. And at first, Joseph doesn't let them know who he is. And he puts them through a ringer to see what their hearts are like. But at the last moment, he comes. He says, basically, do you know who I am? I'm Joseph. And the brothers are terrified. They've already been talking. Could this be God judging us for what we've done to Joseph? And here he is. And he's standing there. And he has the power. He snaps his finger. They're dead. Or they're slaves. Or they're beaten. He could do whatever he wants. And in that moment he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Our people are going to be saved even though you tried to do something evil. I forgive. Jesus ends that passage in Matthew 18 with a story. You may have heard it. And by the way, uh, worship team, I'm not going to call you up, all right? Because you've got a long-winded pastor this morning. Here's the story. Jesus said there was a man. He's called into a king. The king's been keeping accounts. The king says, dude, you owe me in our money two and a half billion dollars. And the guy goes, I'll pay it back. I got 50 cents here. You know. No way. The king has the right to decimate his family, put everybody into slavery, which is what they did. He had the right to make this man's life miserable. And the man begs. And the king's heart is filled with compassion. And he lets him go. The man goes out, finds the guy who owes him the equivalent of a hundred days of work. That's what a denarii was. One denarii was a day of work. So in our money, let's say you earn 10 bucks an hour, you work eight hours, That'd be 80 times 100, so that'd be about $8,000. He finds a guy who owes him 8000 bucks. The guy says, guess what? I don't have it, but I'll, I'll earn it. I'll work for you. I'll do whatever it takes. And the guy says, no way. I want my money now. And if you're not going to do it, you and your family are going to be thrown into slavery. You and your family are going to be punished because you messed up. Now the servants saw that, and they ran back to the king. Hey, king, you know that guy who you just forgave two and a half billion dollars? He's destroying a family for 8,000. And the king calls him back. And the king says, fine, you don't want to show mercy? I don't have to show mercy. The main point that Jesus is here telling us is this. Who's our king? God. What has God done? Forgiven us our sin. He's forgiven you with a price that bankrupt heaven. Should not we have a heart to forgive those 
to have much smaller grievances with us. Which leads us back to where we ended up last week. Ephesians 4.32 Forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Every time I forgive, I am imitating what my Father did for me through Christ Jesus. And I imitate my Father. I look like Him.